0: Keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight. My panel, we've got Jacqueline Foster, who's the Baroness of Oxton, DBE and former MEP. Also joining me is the author, Laura Dodsworth and Kevin Craig, who's the founder and CEO of PLMR. And you know the drill on Jubes & Co. I forgot to say good evening to you three. How rude of me. Good, good evening, evening, you three. Evening. Uh, welcome especially to you, Jacqueline. You're new, one here, right? You're new on jo- here, uh, aren't you, Joobs & Co.? I've only been remote. Yes, remote. Gosh, life's moving on, isn't it? It, All is. it used to everything be uh, on Zoom and here we are in the studio. It's very good. Nice to have you. Uh, as I was saying, so sorry, I was very rude to my panel then. I was so excited to talk to you at home and tell you that you know the drill, don't you? It's not just about us here in the studio. It's about you at home as well. What's on your mind tonight? What do you think? Uh, to some of the stories that we're going to be discussing you can get in touch with me on email gbviews at gbnews.uk or you can tweet me at gbnews or at michelle jubes don't forget if you haven't already you can subscribe to us on youtube Uh, follow us all over social media we've got an app and we're on the radio dab plus we're everywhere so wherever you are tonight you're very very welcome now after pretty much two years uh, of being restricted in our lives many of us are absolutely desperate to get away and away for many means abroad Uh, now if you've been uh, following any media quite frankly you'll be aware of the chaos the absolute chaos uh, that's been going on across pretty much all of the UK airports and beyond by the way you've had flights cancelled long queues bags going missing I mean I can't even imagine what it must be like to travel with young children have you seen some of these queues no thank you Uh, it's not for me Jacqueline I would much rather go camping in the UK Uh, Much less stress, but forget about it, but not everyone's like me and many people are trying to fly. Uh, So what do you think is the cause of this problem? And crucially, who do you think is to blame and who should fix it?
1: Uh, Well, uh, thank you, Michelle. Um, No, I don't recommend just camping. I think uh, that we've got to be positive and look forward. I think there are always solutions. Um, I think, first of all, we need to try and stop the blame game because this isn't just one group. It's not government or industry who is to blame. Um, I'd like to bang a few heads together, I think, um, having spent um, you know, years of my life in the airline industry and then yeah. obviously years in the European Parliament dealing with the legislation, including things like passenger rights, which are very important. But if I may just come in on a, um, on, on a general point, um, how you're actually going to get an aircraft uh, off the ground, um, which I think may be useful. You're looking at an industry which is safety and security critical. Mm-hmm. Um, they cannot move from A to B unless uh, the pilots are licensed, the crew are licensed. Engineers are licensed. People who are working airside, from a security point of view, all of their licenses are up to date. Even those that are working in a duty-free shop. So all of those things, in many cases, had we to need be
0: licensed to work in a duty-free shop in an airport.
1: It would be licensed in the sense of a security check. Right. They have to be security checked. So the difficulty with the lockdowns, to be fair, was a lot of people left. People went on furlough. Licenses ran out. Mm -hmm. Um, and all of that had to replace. And that was clearly a job then for the Home Office or the Civil Aviation Authority. Uh, And perhaps they should have been speedier off the mark once we were looking at lifting restrictions, Mm -hmm. which is something that I was trying to uh, push for. Um, Getting the aircraft off the ground once it's been mothballed, you cannot pick an aircraft out of a hangar and then just pop it on the runway. Again, it's got to be... Uh, brought up to speed to make sure the certification and everything is working. Sorry, it's a bit sort of technical. No. But that's the reality because your safety and security is paramount just to get started. Now, the the safety and security of
0: these people on the screen by the way. If you're listening, I apologise as opposed to watching because whilst uh, Jacqueline's talking, I'm just showing you some footage of what's been occurring at some of the airports, by the way. You've got armed police wandering around baggage carousels where some of the passengers took it upon themselves to go behind the conveyor belt. I'm sure there's a technical term for where they
1: went, but they went through the conveyor belt to try and find their own luggage. So, if I just may conclude by saying so, the fault in my view lies with government because they were far too slow. Um, well, the, the lockdowns were, were horrendous and the restrictions. People didn't know whether it was a red, white or, you know, green uh, route that was opening or closing. So there was all of that, so the industry was badly affected. But I also put a lot of responsibility on the industry itself. As I said, there were many of us in Parliament and we were pushing to lift the restrictions. We knew that the uh, aviation, hospitality, aerospace sectors, which underpinned four million jobs in this country, were taking an absolute hammering and we needed to get this um, off the ground. Um, So, okay, they didn't have tons of notice, but I'm equally not at all happy with the way the airports have been dealing with this either. Mm. Um, There is no excuse, frankly, um, for people to be queuing for three hours going through security. Not now, maybe initially, but certainly not now. Clearly, there are peaks and troughs when you go to the airport uh, and then when the flights are taking place. But that then comes also back on the airlines, which you've quite rightly mentioned. Of course, there were millions of holidays that were cancelled. And of course, the airlines themselves uh, need to make sure that um, people are now able to go on those holidays, but they're equally at the same time selling tickets.
0: They are so indeed. So you've then got this
1: massive overload of people who are trying to get away, and they're business people too, and there's freight and there's all sorts of things like that, and it's ended up as a complete
2: okay. shambles. Can I ask a question, though? It is you a sh- can. And, and it's I, I would, Michelle, you've got in in Jacqueline, one of those incredible members of the House of Lords, who's got a big business career in, in travel and aviation behind her, but what she hasn't mentioned about is the fact that the government's refused to give special visas to EU aviation workers, that could help unblock the queues. Um, And they were told about this in January. And I agree, it's not one individual or one organisation but I don't think this government is particularly efficient in how it takes decisions and how it administers stuff. And there's a theme in lots of stories about money wasted. And here, the question is OK, we've got this problem. The industry is now saying we've made mistakes. You've made mistakes, government. Give us these special visas, please.
0: Are you all about Brexit? Are you all about no. getting people in from.
2: Well, the, I'm you? about adjusting the rules to if there's a workforce shortage, not about ideology. And Brexit's done, Michelle. You know, we don't need to go there tonight. But the aviation industry is asking government for help and the government is ignoring the request.
0: But we're also, just to say as well, briefly, that this is something that's experienced uh, globally. It's yeah. not, this is not just a UK point and I must stress that alone. So just thinking, oh, there's all these, I don't know, random uh, airline staff just sitting around chilling out in Spain that we could be getting these visas and getting in and fixing it, it's not yeah. as simple as that. This is happening everywhere. Well, in fact, can I, can I jump no,
3: in?
2: No, but it shot? is simple. Just, just, Lord, before you say that, it is fact the aviation industry is asking the government to do this to help, and the government's not I saying No, I know,
0: anything. but come on, the aviation industry that me. you referenced make me laugh. Because the I'm reason not that laughing. I'll so go to tomorrow. Well, you should go to Cleeforps and attend. I, You'd have well, a, much well, better, a much less uh, stressful time. The, the same airline industry that are desperate for this government to chip in with these visas are the very same airline industry that made many of their own staff redundant and still by the way keep selling all these tickets that they know they must know they can't fulfill anyway I'll stop ranting okay. Laura so,
3: so there have been staff shortages due to um, Brexit let's just oh, part because because that's not mm. what's going not on here, okay I don't think it's there, Brexit. Are travel, there are travel problems all around the world mm. so thousands of flights have been cancelled in the US Delta has been the worst offender now They've got 100% of their pre-pandemic travel demand, but only 80% of their staff. So what airlines have done all around the world is the same thing. There's reduced demand, so they cut their costs. They have an obligation to their shareholders. That's what they've done. So if you want to blame the airlines, it's for letting people go. But although I'd echo a lot of what Baroness Foster said, I do think, actually, we should indulge in a little bit of blame game. The news at the beginning of the programme talked about delays in passports. Now, the government did not give the travel industry enough notice about when travel restrictions were going to be lifted. You can't just say to airports and to airlines, you've got two weeks, Mm -hmm. because people have to go through very specific security clearances, like Baroness Foster was saying. You know, if you work in Border Force, that's a law enforcement role you can't drop the standards there are too many implications so we've got delays um, on passports we've got delays on driving licenses and driving tests Mm -hmm. my son it's a different type of travel disruption but my son's learning to drive we can't get a test till next year so there are lots of impacts all through, all through, the, all through the country, all through society, and all different types of travel, because of bad planning. Because when we went into lockdown, which was completely unprecedented, it wasn't properly planned, and industry hasn't been given enough notice to get back on its feet. Well, can I just come in? You can. Okay.
1: Um, first of all, the answer is not EU visas. There, as quite rightly Laura does say, there aren't loads of people hanging around. But there were Why is the a lot of people. The aviation lobby asking
2: for it. Then the
1: aviation lobby I know very very well, as you can imagine. Yeah. And the aviation lobby, um, you know, if a few people turned up, you know, when when post Brexit we thought that there were going to be three million people in this country who um, from the EU who would who wish to stay. And as it turned out, we processed there were six million processed who, who already lived here. But as I said, an EU visa, by the time you, you got round to doing that, and it would have to go through the proper channels, that is not going to be a help for summer or even even autumn, if I may say. I think what Laura says, um, as I said, I'm saying you have to stop the blame game. But there is blame. As I've said, I've criticised my own... I'm on the House of... If you look at Hansard, um, from when I went in the House of Lords, which was a year last February, every single time I've spoken, I have taken my government to task. Mm. and I I quite agree with you. You cannot say to somebody. I mean, one of the questions I remember, remember the Champions League and it was Portugal. And Portuguese Portugal had opened and it had had a green traffic light. And every 100,000 people or something went to watch the Champions League. Anyway, so we all thought great, you know, we're starting to open up again. And I'm pleased about that. And four days later, after the Champions League's finished, the next thing all of a sudden, it had virtually turned red overnight. So these thousands of people were trying to get back. Mm. All of the other families who were trying to then go to Portugal so it was an absolute mm. shambles mm. so I have been I have to say extremely critical but while you're being critical we've also got to now try and find as I said the solutions because that's not helping the people who are queuing round no, the lock but being forensic but, um, about
3: what went wrong is important to prevent course, it from happening well, again because I, I, I think, I, I more I think than, many people yeah. would have an appetite in the future for lockdowns and so it's really important to understand when things go wrong why they did border closures have never been in pandemic plans and we weren't equipped.
1: Well, I, I hope I never see a lockdown again in my lifetime because I I can honestly say I'm not a great supporter. I think most people accepted that first one mm-hmm. uh, because nobody in the world really knew what was coming. We didn't know how to deal with this. There were, as we said, no vaccines. Nobody really knew uh, how far this would go.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I think there was a lack of... I think there are going to be some serious lessons for the future um, because what you cannot do uh, in terms of the economy, Michelle is a businesswoman here, uh, you cannot just keep closing down um, the economy and the country, uh, there have to be better ways. Those three lockdowns cost us three, or cost the uh, economy £370 billion. Yeah. I mean, that was the actual cost of that. And, and then everything's a everything yeah, everything well, yeah. from, from that. It's been going to really take, difficult. It's going to take a year to get started. back. But you were quite in favour no, of wouldn't
2: disagree, so. Well, I wouldn't disagree. It was necessary at the start to save lives and protect the NHS.
0: But then don't you think now, when you look back, you say it was all about, you see, this sentence, I mean, I'm going a little bit off topic, so I do apologise but I can't help myself. Like, when you say, you know, these lockdowns were necessary to help the NHS save the NHS, they didn't save the NHS. They've put the NHS in one of the worst positions it's ever been in, and all of these people that wanted lockdowns, they never <laughs> took enough time to but consider we the... And so a reminder, closures were never closures
2: well,
0: never in he pandemic can't help plans.
2: We were never in pandemic
3: plans, and for many good reasons, because they don't work and they cause terrible disruption. Kevin's but never
0: happy has when I say this. Knock on Kevin.
3: No, but
2: you see... The, the, the lockdown, you don't know uh, that the lockdowns didn't save the NHS because, you know, I would contend still that lives were saved. It was totally regrettable. I run a business I've created... The a NHS of wasn't saved. Did, you don't know what back would have onto happened. to the airline
1: industry, though.
2: Yes, I that think, would be good. Because Let's we, do we that. Know
1: that. People are looking at this programme and they're probably terrified if they don't get their passport in time, which mm-hmm. I've yeah. raised as well, apart yeah. from the DVLA. I'm, I'm happy to do that later. Um, and what is key now is we need to make sure that that throughput that people going to airports, whether on business, whether on holiday, uh, those kids and everybody looking forward to that nice break in the summer, maybe those of us around the table are going to fight our way through, try and maybe pick the time when they're going. And the airports now need to get cracking and they need to make a serious effort of getting people on the ground there. If they're doubling their pay, that's fine by me because that, if that's what they need to do, then that's what they need to do because there is a contract when you book your flight or you book your holiday Mm -hmm. between you and a company. And the company, unless there's something horrendous happens and they have to cancel, which was COVID, but there are now no more excuses and from anybody. And this is why we need to actually move on now and think about the customer. But, I, I actually was a draftsman of you, Regulation you, 261, yeah, which you question your rights. You're
2: great, but your Prime Minister, and you know Conservative MPs were saying this yesterday, is it any wonder things don't work efficiently when the whole purpose of the government was to keep him in office? I mean, that's what the Tory MPs were saying this week. So you're, you've got a career that people can respect, and you've done things but do you think this government administers things well
1: well i am certainly not going to sit here and allow boris johnson the prime minister take the rap for a queue in an airport government had to take decisions for covid from sage from scientists from people who certainly were supposed to be the experts, maybe there weren't so much experts, sometimes we can look back. I think they did all And right. they have to take the directions then from the different departments, whether it was health or whether it was transport or, or whatever it was. And so that's not the road to go down. I'm happy to have a chat with you about our prime minister and this week uh, when we've finished. Um, but as I said, the focus has to be good customer service, People work hard to pay for a holiday. They work hard to pay for a flight. Yeah. We need to make sure those aircraft are up in there because they carry freight, which is British business, who manufacture and export and import your business people here. Okay. And this is what we need to do. We have the second largest route network in the right. world outside of America. But and we need to live up to that. Let Kevin respond. But when
2: the airlines come to your government and ask you to do something to help,
0: but you... why are you just picking up on that one thing that I've asked for? Well, because, because, yeah.
2: because they it's not say... Because the answer. Well, they... But, you see, then you just say, no. And I didn't actually hear I didn't reason. say that. I but, said
1: it's not... The answer. But why
2: if are you they saying it is? People, If you were bringing people...
1: Well, they can say what they wish to say. I'll have to disagree with them on that. Well,
3: it, it does sound That's like... That's right, It saying. sounds like something of a deflection as well. It's, it's, it's a it's magic... pinpointing the problem yeah. in one particular area that they see as out of their control and the government's responsibility yeah. so that they don't lose the blame game. There's something airlines could do right? really simply straight away, which is reduce the amount of overbooking they do. Mm. You know, they That's overbook by many, many, many yeah, thousands yeah. of flights. Now, perhaps in normal times, it's happened to be once, and it's really flipping annoying, mm. I'll tell you. But yeah. perhaps Perhaps in normal times that might be okay. Right now, it's not. I- I've already had a flight cancelled. It's been three years since I left the country. Booked a flight for July, cancelled. Uh, I have been
0: put on another flight, but a really annoying to oh, me. I don't know. And why. now I'm and waiting want- for that one to be cancelled too. <laughs> well, you tell me at home because I'm fascinated by this. Why would you want to travel abroad? Right now. I can't think of anything worse. And I'm sorry, Jacqueline, I'm sure you won't agree with me saying this, but I would you not if you paid me For business, would I Michelle. go. Because that's just visiting family and friends.
3: Yeah. No, business. yeah, business is very oh, different. I'm talking leisure fair,
1: But to be fair, I dropped off a nephew to go to Spain to do a, a course a few weeks ago from John Lennon Airport in Liverpool. Mm. And I thought, right, we're gonna get there hours early. I'd booked this, you know, whizzed through security, whizzed through checking, the whole thing that I did for the, for the ticket. And I parked the car, and I ran over the road, and I took him in, and I was back in the car park in 15 minutes. He'd already checked in, and he'd gone up to security, which he actually got through very quickly. The flight was delayed, um, but at least it was halfway there. So it's about picking the time, uh, which you can't always do, but um, there, are those, the, there are those reasons. Six o'clock in the morning is always a toughie. Have a look in the daytime, you know, what day you're going to travel and stuff like that, if you can.
0: Well, it's definitely Which, not Anyway, me. we Pete, are where we are. Peter's just written in and said, uh, Michelle, never mind going abroad, people should get a narrowboat. It's a great way of life. <laughs> Seeing the old England, beautiful. He says, why would you laugh at narrowboats? I'm not,
2: I just... It, it, what? Only it was that easy. My <laughs> friend's I, got a narrowboat, I love it.
0: The the
3: ferries are still working. If you can afford the pet, yes. If you can afford the fuel to get to the ferry, because that's going up to potentially two pounds a litre this summer, then you can you can take a boat somewhere on the continent at least. That's still open.
0: You know, you say about an Araber, I can't think of anything more relaxing, quite frankly, than just being on like a nice canal boat, a couple of uh, glasses of wine, relaxing, nice and slow paced, no drama, it'd be absolutely lovely. Right, I'm think, with you Peter. I'll go on, i with you.
2: I'll think of that in the queue tomorrow for the flight to Berlin. Yes, myself. let
0: me know how you get on. Alan, look. Alan is another one saying, I can't understand the obsession with having to cope with uh, all of these delays and queues, etc. When you could just stay in the UK, I am with you. But uh, if you want to go abroad on holiday I'm not talking about obviously for reasons that you can't avoid but on holiday you're choosing to do that I think you're crackers um but you tell me why what is it about it what would make your trip abroad worth all this potential staff Steve says The airport chaos was planned. The government don't want people spending money abroad. They want them stuck in the UK paying VAT, tobacco duty, alcohol duty, fuel duty, etc. Jacqueline's having absolutely none of that. I could hear you groaning. She's not having you, Steve. She says no to that. (laughs) Paul says, what about the pilots, Michelle, that refused the vaccine and also the unvaccinated people that wasn't allowed to keep their jobs because they wouldn't have the vaccine?
1: No, that's not correct. Hey, I say, don't get Kevin started on that topic. I tell you. Michelle, that's, that's not correct. What happened? Tell us, Jacqueline. Not correct in terms of status from vaccination. Vaccinations were not mandatory for pilots in the United Kingdom. Um, and I don't know, I know pilots, and I would never ask them whether they were vaccinated or not. So I think you need to go off off that.
3: Although that could be an issue in other countries, which, of course, has a knock-on effect here in the UK, because flights go between countries. It could, could. but I I don't think there was much evidence of of issues with
1: pilots from our point of view. Well,
0: just a quick one before I go to a quick break. Bill says, Michelle, I am hoping that you're going to uh, touch on the fact that air traffic control staff are working from home. Are they? I didn't know that. Not saying
1: that, I'm not saying that because I didn't know that doesn't mean it's not happening. But. Well, I don't think they do at Heathrow Tower and the major airports around the country. I mean, I think there's uh, very tiny airports around and you can work virtually in it, actually. There's an advert on TV, here, I right. think, where they have uh, things like that. I don't think it's a real, a real sort of flight that's coming in. But um, it looks pretty good, doesn't it?
0: Julian says, it's all very simple, Michelle. The airline should only be selling the amount of tickets for the amount of passengers that they can handle. That's great, Julian. But it's not just about the airlines. It's all about, as we've just been touching on there, all the ground staff. It's not, it's all well and good. I don't know, say British Airways or EasyJet or whoever, selling the tickets on the things, but then who deals with the baggage, who deals with the security and all those kind of things? Uh, Quite frankly, it's a mess and one that I would be happy to avoid. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes and Co with me, Michelle Jubri, keeping me company tonight. Jacqueline Foster, who's the Baroness of Oxden, DBE and former MEP, the author Laura Dodsworth, and Kevin Craig, who is the founder and CEO of PLMR. We've just been having a great chat, so we have in the break about uh, great British holidays, camping and things like that. Many of you uh, very kindly getting in touch saying uh, you'll go on the holiday with me in the UK. What a treat for me. But I don't think I get enough days off. I've got to be honest. I need to be here to talk about uh, topics with you guys, don't I? Uh, one of you just been in touch there. I've just lost it and I was desperate to read it out, saying that you're in your motorhome home in Hassocks. Uh, oh, there yeah, I found you. Dan he says, I'm in my murder home at a campsite in Hassocks having a cold beer and watching Jubes and Kersey. To me, I have to say, I can't think of anything more fantastic. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily watching myself. I don't mean watching myself. I mean, sitting in a murder <laughs> oh, home. Forging slip. Yeah, with a, yeah, just sitting there. <laughs> I have Jubes and Co back episodes on repeat. It's how I spend my spare times. Yeah. But uh, Howard says, yeah, go on a cruise, Michelle. I like that. On many on of you. Yeah, many of you talking about camping. Nigel says, uh, let's all go on holiday. We could go to the Lake Districts, get a cosy cottage near a pub, have a bit of walking and some fresh air. That, to me, sounds heaven, I've got to say. Now, let's move on, shall we? Uh, Do you have children? Uh, If so, do you... uh, How does it work when it comes to lunches at their school? Do you pay for them to have a hot lunch? Do you send them with a pack-up or what? Uh, In Scotland, over a million pounds is currently owed by parents who haven't paid for their children's lunches. The scale of all this debt and the rise in so-called hidden hunger has basically encouraged calls now for free school meals for all primary children. I have to say this has created quite a large debate, and I've seen lots of people calling for pretty much all schools to offer all children a free hot meal. Kevin, what do you think today?
2: Well... uh... As a former school governor, parent of two girls, well, they're 14, 16 now, uh, and I did have free school meals at one point in my childhood, I am attracted by this idea. Now, I know that what you and, and some other colleagues on the panel might say is, well, the idea is fine, but you don't want the state to be giving money to families who don't need the help. And mm. that's why this situation is, you know, the, the, the debt has built up in Scotland. But I think um, historically, we as a country used to do a lot more for child nutrition, whether you you go back to key moments of education policy reform. And I think there must be a better way. So I am attracted to the idea. Um, It doesn't mean it's the state's job to raise kids, but nutrition, a balanced diet, it's so important. Kids spend so much of their formative years at school. We've got issues with obesity and bad habits. And I think the outrage that there might be over this potential waste of money if some kids get it who don't or shouldn't get it compared to the billions we've lost elsewhere in government this is actually it could do real good so would you have where would
0: you have is there a line for you would you do all kids all schools would you just do primary what
2: well I think up to 11, for sure. I'm really sort of attracted by that. Yeah, I'm really attracted by that. And then secondary even, maybe sort of, depending on what system and what part of the country you're in, up to 13, 14. I think there's an argument for it, Michelle. But why do
0: you care about the 15, 16-year-olds then?
2: Well, because, you know, I do care. So, thank you for that. But um, uh, I care very much. That's the age of my own kids, can I say, for the record. But I think at that point, you know, perhaps one could argue that nutritionally those are less formative years. You know, can we afford it as a country? What can we afford? What kind of country can we afford? What are our taxes spent on? Is this... I think this is a great idea.
3: Laura, do you agree? Um, Okay, I... Um, I find the idea of children being hungry at school abhorrent. It makes me sick. I have felt really emotional reading the stories about it. It is appalling that for such a rich country, we have children who can't concentrate on lessons, aren't being fed properly, or you know maybe their parents are having not the full complement of meals so that they can feed their children. But I'm not sure that the answer is to provide free school meals to all children. Okay, right now, inflation is 9%. According to the Institute of Fiscal Studies, Inflation for the bottom 10% of poorest households is coming up for 11%, but inflation for the richest top 10% of households is 7%. So you see, the problem is that the poorest households bear the brunt of the cost of living crisis. I would rather see more help go to those who need it. So for instance, if we we were talking about a discrete fund which will be spent on food for children, let's pretend it can't go to anything else. That's all it's going to go to. I would rather see more schemes extended into the holidays for vulnerable households. Perhaps Um, free school meals could be extended to everybody on universal credit. Now, the threshold is really low. And when I say low, high, if you know what I mean. The income is very low. Um, So the problem is that there are families who can't really afford... Um, school meals but they don't qualify because the thresholds haven't been raised over the years and they've certainly not been keeping up with inflation so why don't we instead raise the threshold and put more help into the holidays to extend the help where it's needed I really don't think rich families should be getting free school meals for their children the only reason I'd be in favor is if it's cheaper to administer it that way and I don't believe it will be there is another factor I think this is really important there is still some stigma around free school meals and if it was available to everybody that would reduce the stigma but that's not a reason to do it I think there's something that's wrong with the mechanism so I know from my sons that um, they pay with fingerprints now, and I mean, my goodness, if they're if they're making kids pay with fingerprints, there's all kinds of things they can do. But it flashes up on the screen whether it's a free school meal or whether it's paid or not. There's all kinds of things that schools could be doing. Yeah, it's a to little tweak. That's a simple tweak of to change that. Is it? But yeah. that is a reason I've seen put forward for for universal free school meals. So what I'm saying is there are mechanisms that can be changed. I'd rather see help directed where it's needed the most.
1: Mm. Jacqueline, your thoughts? Well, I think um, we should go back to why we had school meals in the first place. And when I was uh, a little tweeny thing with uh, both parents coming from a blue collar background, uh, my father would uh, drove a lorry, my mother worked in a factory. And I remember paying for my school dinners as my uh, two elder sisters did. And I think that generations that came post-World War II, and the reason we had the hot meals for a lot of families, it was probably or possibly the only hot meal that the child would get a day, mm-hmm. so they were certainly put in place for the right for the right reasons. So we move all of these years on, and obviously the whole welfare state has um, it's much bigger now. There's much more. There was only, I think, child allowance for a couple of children, then. there wasn't really anything else. So whilst I, uh, I certainly like you, I don't want to see anybody not being given a hot meal every day. But I think we have to put it into context. I think it's something that needs to be targeted. And it needs to be targeted to the children or the families where they have real problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, there would be a risk where the child is not getting the right nourishment. Mm-hmm. I'd also, um, well, you also have to look, as I say, at parental responsibility, just because you come from a low income household. There are a lot of parents in a low income household. I've met them as constituents when I was an MEP, and they will cook and make nourishing food, which you can, um, and make sure their children are fed well. We also know there are children in very difficult households and we're not sure what they're going to get, so that has to be monitored. So I don't think there's a sort of an easy answer or a right and a wrong, but certainly I think when families can afford to well, you see them, they'll be in airports, they'll be all over the place going on holidays and all sorts of things. Um, they're not well off. People save up to go and do things or go to the cinema or we go out to a restaurant or whatever it is. But basically, I think that um, it's money that should be targeted. Mm. I don't believe that the taxpayers should fund every child um, because probably the majority of parents can pay for the school dinners. And I think that's correct. Agreed.
3: And there's another way to target money as well. You know, we're going to have another energy increase in October. Yeah. So controversial, might sound a little bit off you know, off piste when we're talking about free school meals, but why don't we scrap green levies for a few years? Because yeah. the, um,
2: the planet is dying.
3: No, no it's not. It so is. let's scrap the argument. But, but let me just continue my yeah. point. I know, but it's let a discussion
2: me, but show, right? And it if is. You just but said scrap green but I'm in the middle
3: of a sentence. It's a comma. It's a, it's a comma. Scrap green levies for a few years.
0: Pack it in, you two.
3: Well, well, stick to it, to school I know meals. what commas
2: are. You can't say scrap green levies and then not be happy if some other colleagues here say they're there because the planet is in real danger. Yes, but you That's
0: can all. wait till a little pause in the
3: conversation. Yeah, it was can too I, interesting.
2: can it was I finish too my? Well, well, I, agree, I agree, with Can I finish that. my, my point? Sorry. Sorry.
0: Thank you. Go on. And then <laughs> okay. I want Kevin to make his as well, because whilst I don't always agree with you, I do like to hear from you.
3: We could also reverse national insurance increases. You know, why not have tax cuts? Because again, it's the, it's the poorest households that experience these tax increases and this cost of living the most. My, my interest in wanting to see taxes and levies reduced is to help the poor people. Now we have up to 10,000 deaths every winter as it is caused by winter fuel poverty. What do you think is going to happen this winter? So if we're talking about um, re, you know targeting help it doesn't necessarily have to be free school meals for kids from rich families who don't need that help. I'd rather see more help targeted in a in a creative variety of ways Kevin. for people who need it.
2: Well, I would just say we we talk about you know tax cuts, right? And we we are if you we're talking about improving everyone on this panel wants to improve the lives of kids, especially from low income backgrounds. Everyone here has got a story that relates to that. My mum was a din lady, but. As a country, we're we're all in the wrong direction over there. And we're not talking about there are billions of pounds under the current administration in the last few years that have been wasted. They could pay for every child to have a three-course dinner every day and finish the day with a glass of wine with the fella in Hassocks watching you, if appropriate. The money is there. And tax cuts, I don't think, are the thing that we need now. I pay lots of tax as a business person. We should be thinking about the, the, the... emergency of the kids that you talked about who don't get the right food in their bellies daily. And I know there's agreement about that, but tax cuts, s- scrapping levies that are there to stop the damage to the planet, I just think we're not looking the right direction for cash wasted by our state. But let
0: me just have briefly ask you this, Kevin. Um, don't you worry a little bit that we seem to be creating this sentiment that whatever the problem seems to be in society, the answer is... Oh, government funding, get more money out, take the money out of the government, the government will fix it, get the government to do this. Don't you worry about that?
2: No, I don't believe in a nanny state. I just believe that it's British to um, spend our money really well and not waste it. And if we have discussions about public policy and diverting assistance to kids, you have to factor in that the government of the day is overseeing the waste of billions in recent memory. And it would change the sorts of issues that we all care passionately about. Well, not, not everything is the government's fault, you know. I, I think it's important that people of one persuasion or the other yeah. acknowledge that. But it's not the nanny state to say, spend our money on those who need it stop yeah, wasting it. But I think
1: we if I may just come in, where Laura is quite right. And that is, um, we need to get this economy cracking. Once we do that, and it's really up and running, that's when we can get the revenue in and we can do more things. But you can't do it while you've got a fairly stagnant economy with all the pressures that we've got with high taxes. I'd like to see taxes reduced too, as soon as possible. And there are ways you can do that with VAT on certain things. There's a a number of ways you can do that.
2: Uh, go see.
0: Hello there, I'm Thank Michelle Dubry, this is Jubes and Kirk, keeping me company until 7 o'clock, my panel. We've got Jacqueline Foster, the Baroness of Oxen DBE and former MEP, author Laura Dodsworth, and Kevin Craig, who's the founder and CEO of PLMR. Lots of feedback I can tell you now about that school uh, meals one. Um, I have to say, Philippa says Michelle. I'm very disappointed. Not a single person in your last debate mentioned parental responsibility. I did. Apparently now, it seems that children are a state responsibility. Mm, I've got to say, I personally believe very much in personal responsibility. Stuart says, school meals, Michelle, should be available to all primary kids for free. Anyone that's worried that kids of the of the well-off... Uh, will be benefiting, should worry not, because the well-off have already paid higher taxes, so their cost is basically covered there. He says about secondary school kids, don't offer it to them because those guys are more interested in their takeaways at lunchtime. What do you think to that, Samantha? Uh, You're a bit more direct, Samantha. You say, if you can't feed them, don't breed them. Simple. That's Samantha's thoughts. What about that? Gary says, Why should we, who have never had kids, pay for other people's kids? Uh, If you've decided to have children, then you should pay for them. I have to say, that is a sentiment coming through thick and fast. Lynn says... I do not understand why if people can't afford to feed their children, they have them. She says she waited 10 years before she had her children so that she could afford, basically, to look after them and feed them. All I would say to that one, though, Lynn is what about if your circumstances changed? I don't know. Um, Some people, they might have done what you've just done, waited to have their children until they were in a financial responsibility. Then they might have become ill and not been able to work or have to care for a loved one or lost their job or whatever, whatever. I am in the camp. I have to say, of being responsible for your own children. But I also worry that sometimes circumstances overtake people's sentiments and should it really then be the child that would suffer? I do have to say, though, I agree with the sentiment um, that people uh, should absolutely be required to prioritise their children uh, wherever possible. Anyway, keep your thoughts coming in. GBviews at gbnews.uk is the email, at Michelle Jubes or at GBnews is the Twitter Now let's talk about something else shall we, monkeypox. I have to say I don't seem to be able to go anywhere these days without hearing about it. The UK, just to give it its credit, uh, has 321 cases. We are at the top of the list across Europe. Uh, Also, now from today, monkeypox is a notifiable disease, which basically means that if you go to your doctor uh, and you have symptoms, etc., it's required now by law that this is fed up so we can track these cases and monitor the outbreaks. Now, Laura, many people... And I say many people, what, I mean me, I mean me, basically. Um, I'm starting to get a little bit worried about this. And I don't think that I'm alone because we've just gone through this whole COVID thing. And now all of a sudden, for me, it feels pretty much from nowhere. There's just now this latest thing that, oh goodness, is my health at risk because of this? Oh, you know, we've got to track this. We've got to have contact. I worry, are we on a slippery slope here or am I just completely wrong? And monkeypox is indeed something to be aware of and worried about.
3: Well, I think that um, most people are quite red-pilled by the last couple of years of pandemic. What, what does
0: that mean for those not in uh, your... means your... you've
3: taken a pill and it's changed your awareness and you might be less trusting in the state and the media and authority and sources than you were pre-pandemic. Oh, I'm red-pilled. You're red-pilled, OK. Mm. It's a kind of generic term. You know, it's in the matrix, near took the red pill. So I think uh, to put your mind at rest, just because monkeypox has been classified as a notifiable disease doesn't mean that the government's in any way escalating its response to it. That's just quite sensible to do with something that's infectious. Monkeypox is only spread by close contact. So, you know, basically it's skin to skin, Um, snogging, uh, maybe maybe hugging, bleeding lesions, weeping lesions. But the, I oh, tell, I'm not sure I tell you I'd be snogging anyone seen... that's filled with weeping lesions personally. It's not, but... it, you know, it's not, it's not easily spread. But the thing is, it's, it's endemic in Central and West Africa, and there have been a few outbreaks around the world. That doesn't mean that there's a transmission line. In fact, there's um, a chat called Front, uh, Professor Francois Ballou on Twitter. He's a good follower. He's been doing some very sensible tweets and threads about monkeypox, and he doesn't think, and he was really on the money all the way through COVID, he doesn't think that there's any evidence of transmission lines. We don't need to worry about it globally spreading. The reason you've seen a lot of monkeypox and your alarm bells are ringing, because the media likes monkeypox. Now, one difficult thing about COVID is it was an absolute nightmare for photo editors. You can't see it. That's why you kept seeing this um, cartoonish diagram of um, of the COVID virus everywhere, mm. you know, with the red spikes coming mm. out of it. There's nothing to look at. Monkeypox is so much more interesting. There's pustules and boils.
0: Oh, so goodness see, me, I've just looked at the screen go. and realised we're yeah. putting <laughs> you full of these images. I'm so sorry if you're having your tea, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Delicious.
3: So this is the thing. There's something that's kind of selective. About it. You know, there's a saying, if it if it bleeds, it leads. Now these aren't bleeding, they're boils, but they create a bit of excitement. It's something new. Honestly, the media's bored of COVID. It's part of the reason why you saw Ukraine everywhere when um, not just because you know everyone cares when a, a country's invaded, but because it's something new, to be honest, it's something new. And monkeypox is new. And I think that some journalists are a little bit addicted to fear. Not me. They like the clickbait headlines, not you. Not here at GB News, other places. They're addicted to the fear in the headlines. Who is? Oh. Journalists.
2: But which media organisations name them?
3: There've been a lot of monkeypox um articles that they aren't as crazy as the COVID ones. I, didn't, I was having a look at some headlines on the way here. Monkeypox found in semen. Monkeypox outbreak People was waiting to happen. <laughs> monkeypox can be airborne too. You know, there's these headlines all over the place. Yeah.
0: Can, and it's a bit irresponsible. I can give you a bit of context to this because I was a little bit bored earlier on, <laughs> right? So I put monkeypox into Google. Do you know how many results it returned? Go on. billion. So then, because I was really bored, I put chicken pox in, (laughs) and that returned only 53 million. So for me, the obsession there was clear just on that very simple test. There you go. Anyway, carry on, on. Kevin. Addicted
2: to fear. I I think that you know the uh, the monkey pox first arrived in this country. I think in 2018. Um, uh, It's not like COVID-19 because the way you recover from it, it's not going to have the impact on the NHS and critical healthcare services. I totally agree uh, uh, with Laura that it is is being overblown. And I think in terms of what the media choose to report as news, which is important in my my daytime job in communications, this just doesn't deserve it. So the sooner we can move on, the better.
1: Yeah, I'd just like to say I I agree with Laura. I think mainstream media have been on a bit of a meltdown since COVID. Um, I don't like knee-jerk. I don't like fear factor. I think people have been frightened enough, quite vulnerable ones. And um, it's uh, totally under control. Um, It's a chicken pox uh, virus. Uh, Most people in this country have had uh, that uh, chicken pox injection or inoculation. And I just think they need to keep an eye on it. And everything else, I think, needs to be put in perspective.
0: Well, there you go. Let's put it into perspective. I completely agree. Lots of you guys have been getting in touch about you, actually, Jacqueline. Me? Uh, Yes, lots and lots of love coming uh, through the emails, etc. for you. Uh, Stuart said... If Jacqueline was uh, standing for PM, I would vote for her as wow. well. Lots and lots of love. So you can come again. I'll, I'll put a tick box next Put a tick next to your name. Uh, Laura, Kevin, you can also come again. Lots of love for you guys too. Uh, it's only me that was missing the love tonight. By the way, uh, someone's mentioned that the email address was wrong on the screen. Just for the record, it's GBViews at GBNews.uk. Get in touch with me. Let me know what's on your mind. Have a fantastic evening, and I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>